Um, the scripture reading this Sunday is 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. I'm so happy that you guys are here today. I was afraid that knowing our church that you would consider any church activity on Sunday church, even if it was at a brewery, and yet you still decided to come this morning. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. I'm thrilled that you guys are here. This uh, series has been something that's been mulling around in my mind for the last several years, and it's something that's been transformative for me, and I'm thrilled that this is going to be, hopefully, a gift for you as well. Last week, we talked about uh, the very beginning concept of what does it mean to be weak and strong, how God created us to, to live and to flourish in this world. It's a mixture of both weakness and strength. And to help unpack that a little bit more, we actually used more challenging words. The two words that we used were authority and vulnerability. So for those who are here for the very first time, before you push away from these words that are challenging for us, I just want to give us this definition once again. First off, authority is the capacity to create meaningful change. Authority is not the, the power to lord uh, over other people, to suppress and oppress people, to hold them down, to serve you. That's not what, what godly authority is. What, the way in which Jesus showed us how to live with authority is that wherever you are, you have the ability to create meaningful change. Wherever Jesus went, he was a change agent. Because of who he was and how he lived, the surroundings were changed. People were delivered. Justice was found. Mercy was given. Compassion was experienced. All of this was because of Jesus' authority. That's how you and I were created to be. Yet on the other hand, we were also created to live with great vulnerability. Vulnerability, as we defined last week, was the capacity to be wounded. Not as exciting. <laughs> to live with vulnerability means that you are exposed. Means that you're willing to be dependent on others. It means that you're willing to take a risk when you don't know the outcome. All of these things are, are a, mark a life of vulnerability. Vulnerability gives way to honesty, to courage, to openness, and to genuine living. And it's interesting to me that both of these words, authority and vulnerability, if both of them mark the Christian life, isn't it interesting that we don't desire either of them? <laughs> like we push back, no, 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 I, I, can't, I don't want to live with authority. No, 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 I don't want to live with vulnerability. It made me think about the, the passage that we study at the very beginning of the year, Jesus' words for us, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's broad, it's wide. If you, wanna, if you wanna go that way, just keep your head down. Just go with the flow. Don't live with intention. Just, just go with it and you'll follow that broad road, that broad gate that leads to a life of regret. 
and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What Jesus is saying is that true life, a life of meaning and beauty and purpose and hope, is the narrow road that it takes intention, it takes risk. So it Maybe by the fact that we don't care for the words of authority and vulnerability, maybe what that's saying is maybe living with those two different characteristics is the narrow road that doesn't come naturally for us. We won't naturally choose vulnerability. We won't naturally seek to live with godly authority. And so for us to help unpack this, we use this uh, grid right here that talk about it. So the idea of this grid is that wherever you are in life, you're somewhere on here. If you were to look, on, look through your life, you're somewhere on this grid. Either you're living with high authority, you're living with the, the capacity to create meaningful change, or you're not. You're, you know, you're playing it safe, you're hiding out. Likewise, there's some of us who are living with high vulnerability, either through our own choice or through, or through our own life circumstances, We are woundable. We're living that way. And there's some of us who are guarded up, who who are choosing to armor up, to to, to find places where we're not woundable. And what I'm thinking for us today is that to choose to live in this right here, the mixture of authority and vulnerability is the narrow way. This is where the loving Father seeks to move each of us to because it's here where we find our true self. It's here where we experience intimacy with Jesus and it's here where we get to partner with God to help change this world. That is what God wants for us. And so for this week, what we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about the unexpected power of vulnerability. There's an unexpected power in living with vulnerability. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to, to reconstruct authority. But right this week, we're going to talk about the unexpected power of choosing to live with vulnerability. Last week, I asked each of you to think of your favorite movie or your favorite book. And it's been funny just having these conversations with you all this past week. of what, So what was your favorite movie? And the interesting thing for me is most of the time, the movies that really resonate with us are stories of people who are taking this hero's journey into vulnerability. We see this in these movies. Two of my favorite movies, Lord of the Rings. Anyone like this movie, Lord of the Rings? Anyone's ever seen it? Yeah? So the movie begins with Frodo eating his second breakfast in the Shire. It's beautiful, it's safe, it's calm, it's guarded. It's right here. Very, he's not doing much, just eating second breakfast all by himself. His life was manageable. And then Gandalf shows up and drops a ring on the table and begins to invite chaos into his life. And it starts this journey, this unexpected journey from his drama-free life into a life of great vulnerability. Really, a hobbit is going to save the world A hobbit? A little hairy-footed hobbit? Really? And it's interesting, as Frodo 
was moving with his friend Gandalf, moving into greater authority and greater vulnerability, he has two different temptations. If you guys know the story, one of them is just to return to the Shire. I just, I'm just going back home. He misses his home. And the other temptation he has is to take this ring that he's been given and to use it. And what happens when he puts on this ring? He hides. He has this sense of power. And his temptation is to flee from vulnerability either through hiding out or through exercising a power that he shouldn't. But eventually the hero's story is that Frodo courageously takes this journey, faces the enemy, drops the ring in, and the world was saved by this little vulnerable hobbit. My second favorite movie, this is my actually the favorite movie, is Shawshank Redemption. Any fans out there? Oh, man, we could have a whole sermon series on the gospel according to Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne was wrongly incarcerated for killing his wife and his wife's lover. And while he's in prison, he meets a man named Red. And Red is a man who knows how to get things. So they're in prison, even though, he, uh, even though he's in prison, which might feel like here, he actually lives with some authority because he knows how to get things. And he's well-respected. And so he's able to not live with great vulnerability. And if you remember, they have this unexpected friendship, and it takes a harsh turn when Andy brings up a conversation that Red doesn't care for. And Andy starts talking about something that he calls dangerous. Does anyone remember what is dangerous to Red? Hope. Hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man crazy in here. What he had learned to do is to learn to not have hope. Because guess what? When you live with hope, you are made vulnerable. And so it's easier to hide out, even if it's in prison. Here's this line. It talks about being institutionalized. When you actually have given up hope. This is what he says. The walls of prison are funny. First you hate them. Then you get used to them. And after a while, you depend on them. That is being institutionalized. He had to learn the way of hope, that hope is risky, it's dangerous. Make someone vulnerable. Instead, you can just choose to hide out. And so we see these two stories. We see these stories that resonate with us. And we watch them, and we watch these characters go through this experience of transformation. And they end up being people of great power, but also great vulnerability. And there's something in us that we, like, we're drawn to these stories, and I think there's a reason why. is because we hope that there's a world where little hobbits can change the world. We hope there's a world where if someone who's been incarcerated all of their life can end up on the beach in Zihuataneo with his good friend and find a new life. It's because we want that maybe even for ourselves, and we struggle with living with it. Maybe just taking in these stories, taking these movies, we kind of go, oh, if only that could be the way in my life to learn that hope is a good thing. Even though we're attracted to these stories, we fight vulnerability. We're good at it. And perhaps maybe for us, the first step for us to learn to walk into the unexpected power of vulnerability, we need to think through how do you uniquely avoid vulnerability? How do you uniquely escape the ability to be wounded? 
Here are some ways. First, many of us, we numb ourselves. We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated cohort in U.S. history. All of these actions can be seen as numbing of the self. We numb ourselves through entertainment. We numb ourselves through busyness. We numb ourselves through materialism. If you feel empty, just go buy something, right? If you are experiencing loss, just have another drink. If you don't really feel like engaging with a friend or your spouse, just keep watching Netflix. All these are in some ways pulling away from our ability to choose to be vulnerable with other people. The second way in which we do this is we also control. When life starts to feel chaotic and risky, we seek to apply our control with whatever we can. Instead of dealing with the challenges in life, we clamp down, we try to control it. If you can't control that thing, you try to control something else. I always knew in my family, when something wasn't going well, my mom would just choose to reorganize the closet for some reason. You might be in there doing it too. Why? Because when life feels crazy and uncontrollable, I will seek to control whatever I can, even if it's the organization of my shoes, right? So we see this today, especially our seek to control our, through our, the control of our image, even on social media. We have carefully curated uh, uh, demonstrations of what our life might be through our social media. This, and, and part of this for me is I feel like we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of what would people really know about my life. This past week I opened up my phone on Facebook and I don't know how, but I swiped it to the, the immediately went to the camera. I don't know, you might have experienced this. It went straight to the camera and it was like, I accidentally took a picture, and it was the worst angle of my face. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible to have that many chins when I was looking down at it. And I was so close to sharing it on, for everyone, like, this, this, this picture, I'll give it to you right now. <laughs> it was the worst. And I was like, why do I, I got so panicky. Like, no, 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 no. Um, I think part of it is, like, uh, we're afraid of showing our vulnerable self, the part of ourself, the part of our life that's not Instagram worthy. What if, we, what if people really knew our life? So we, we control. We're afraid of being vulnerable. We also protect. We become risk averse. We armor up. Instead of being people of courage and boldness, uh, we choose to play it safe. Uh, oftentimes I see this especially in parenting. When you've, like for some parents, the most vulnerable you ever feel is not even your own life, it's your children's life. That's what makes you feel vulnerable. And so our temptation oftentimes as parents, there used to be helicopter parents where parents would kind of hover over, hey, how's everything going? Nowadays, what some of the, uh, the specialists talk about is lawnmower parents. They don't just hover, they actually go in front of the kid, knock out everything, it's clean over here, okay, you can take two more steps this way, Okay, this is perfect. Come on. Okay, this little okay, this a little bit more level this way. Come this way. And what we're afraid to do is to let our kids be vulnerable. And so we seek to protect. In many ways, this is part of the American dream. Many of us have bought into. We study hard to get the job so you can make the money to move out to the suburbs where it's safe, where schools are good where you get to choose your neighbors a little bit more carefully. You have that home fenced off. 
get to pull into the driveway, push the garage door button, move in, walk into your house without ever having to be outside. Like the fear of it, like actually being around other people. And then you never have to deal with people that you don't choose to be around. You choose your community that look like you, that talk like you, that share the same values. And then you save enough so that you can go into retirement without any risk. You provi- you've been provided for. This, all, this is all part of our life and to some degree. And there's not necessarily, that's not necessarily bad in itself. But for many of us, we've bought into this lie to live well means to live without any vulnerability. Now, I'm the first to say I live in the Burbs. I live like walking distance to Costco. That's like the definition of living in the Burbs. If you can walk to Costco, you're probably in suburbia. That's me and that's my life. And so there's nothing necessarily wrong, but the American dream of provision and safety does not encourage vulnerability. So we protect. And then we also blame I think one of the main reasons why this world feels so divided right now is that we don't know what to do with our vulnerability. We know the world is changing, that the shifts, uh, the, the, the plates are shifting underneath us. We know that there's so much going on that's against what we would choose. And so instead of feeling vulnerable, of befriending our vulnerability, we start blaming other people. Well, if only the Republicans were doing this, and if only the Democrats were doing that, And if only Wall Street was not so greedy, and if only those people, instead of experiencing our invulnerability, we turn it into anger. How unfamiliar is it in this day and age to have a relationship with someone from which you disagree with, and for people to vulnerably go to each other and say, would you teach me how you see things? I I, I truly just want to understand how you see this, because I don't see it two things might happen. One, you might actually change your mind. And two, you might actually demonstrate the beauty of being vulnerable to other people. I think the church, one of the ways we can be salt and light is to be more like that. Be less of a blaming culture, more of a vulnerable culture in that way. And then finally, we hide. One of the ways we get away from vulnerabilities, we hide. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, what happened when Adam and Eve, they they ate the fruit of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. What is the first thing that they did when they realized that they were naked or naked? I don't know how you say it here in Texas. <laughs> what was the first thing that they did? They covered themselves and then they hid. They knew of their nakedness and they covered themselves and they hid. To be, to be exposed is to be vulnerable. And the very human response of hiding and covering is something that we still do today. We still do it today. When we feel vulnerable, we cover and we hide. We hide behind good jobs. We hide behind the ideal family. We hide in isolation. We cover with busyness. We cover with accomplishments. We even hide in our religion. When we aren't doing well, We know the right verse to say. We know how to go through the motions. And we know how not to be vulnerable. We even hide behind our virtues. And all of these ways are ways that we have learned to hide and to avoid vulnerability. And what Jesus might be saying is, 
this is the biggest surprise for us, is that there is unexpected power when you choose to live with vulnerability. Your vulnerability might be your greatest strength. We have this example from a person in scripture named Paul. The story of Paul begins, he, was a, he persecuted the church. He was a, uh, a strong religious leader in that day, and he's, his journey starts here. He was powerful, he was known, he was respected, and he was going after Christians and either imprisoning them or killing them for their faith, for their belief. And so what does God do to grab his attention? As he was on the road to go to find other churches, other people, the resurrected Jesus shows up and blinds him. He says to Paul, why are you persecuting, not them, why are you persecuting me? And he blinds them. And this blindness, I think, is to, to rock him from his, his authority and his vulnerability because what happens after that is so interesting. So he ends up right here. He was blind and had to be led by hand to go into the very town that he was heading to to persecute the Christians so that this man could have this encounter and that he could experience restored grace. This is what happened uh, when he came to this man named Ananias in verse 17. He said, placing his hands on Saul, Ananias said, and I love this, this is grace, guys. He said, Brother Saul. The first words he says was, not persecuted, how dare you? He looks at him and covers his face and says, Brother Saul. Do you see the grace there? The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with God's presence. And immediately, something like scales from Saul's eyes fell. They fell, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And notice this. After taking some food, he regained his strength. The story that Paul began, where he began in this story, is up here. God allowed him to be blind. He was blind so that he could be regained his strength. But not this type of strength, but vulnerable strength. The very man who was going to persecute churches would end up being the greatest church planner in human history. He would plant so many churches in that area in Asia Minor. And this is a beautiful thing about God doesn't want us to be simply vulnerable. He wants us to give us power in our vulnerability. But this wasn't a one-time experience. He actually wrote a very vulnerable letter to one of the churches that he helped plant. This is in the church in Corinth. We heard the scripture read earlier. And in this letter, he wrote something about a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh, which is kind of a weird concept. As Ron would say, uh, in Texas talk, a thorn in the flesh is like this nagging small thing. It's like brisket in the teeth. Like, <laughs> it seems small, but it's just nagging. It's holding you back. And something that's really important, before, I just want to set this context before we read this passage, is that this thorn in the flesh it's not from God. Or this is important. God allows it, but this is not from God. There are thorns in life, and I think Christians have done damage by saying that God has given you this thorn. There's sorrow, there's problems that happen because life is thorny. 
I just wanted to say that before we jump in here. So 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, uh, Paul talks about the thorn of his flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient is, my grace is enough. It's all you need. I know you're looking at your thorn. I just want you to say, look at my grace, because it's going to be enough. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made complete in vulnerability, in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, from experiencing God speaking this to him, therefore, Paul will boast all the more gladly about his weakness so that Christ's power may rest on him. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulty. Guys, listen to this next line. You might need to just think about this. This might be the one thing you need to think throughout this week. For when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. Paul had learned in his journey with Jesus that there's unique power in weakness. For Paul, Paul must have heard God say, Paul, my power shows up in thorns, in wounds, in the areas that remind you to be dependent upon me. And this is a really challenging lesson, a lesson of vulnerability. And I just want to just share this warning for each of us who go, oh, that sounds great. I just want to share this, that thorns are never fun. And by the way, God is rarely in a hurry to take care of them. He's rarely in the hurry to comfort you, to, to pull that thorn away because he wants you to know a different type of power where power truly exists. He is quite comfortable keeping you in a place of dependence on him because there's no safer place to be than to be reliant, fully reliant on Jesus. So some of you might have a thorn in your life today. It might be a challenging situation diagnosis, might be a problematic relationship, a hardship you didn't ask for. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't seem to be going away. It feels too much for you. What Paul is saying, perhaps to you, is don't avoid this weakness. Don't numb yourself. Don't hide. Don't try to protect it. Don't try to control. Don't avoid this weakness because it's actually a place of strength. Because it's in those times, in those places, when we are depleted of ourselves, we get to draw on the lavish, inexhaustible provision of God's presence and love and strength. I'll share a little bit from my own life. When I was a young man, I hated this passage. And I'm just being honest, I hated this passage. <clears throat> because uh, when, I, when I was younger, I had a thorn, a real thorn in my life. I had a severe stuttering problem. Um, severe stuttering problem, and I remember praying with all my might, God, please take this stuttering away. Please take this away. I didn't pray like that out loud because I'd been stuttering. It was much longer prayer. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember praying that over and over again, and I remember hearing this passage of three times I prayed to God take this one away, and he didn't. I just remember going, no, thank you. And I had a very clear memory from my childhood when, uh, when the classroom went around and to uh, read, um, read around the classroom where uh, I had this thing where I would take this, 
pencil, I'd knock it off my desk, and I'd push my seat out, and I would go reach down to get my pencil, and I would just literally hide underneath my desk while the teacher was calling on people to read. And sometimes I found gum. (laughs) But I remember hiding. I was just so afraid. And then it it didn't stop. In middle school, my whole goal in middle school was to not be noticed, just to go under the radar. I was gripped by fear. I would spend my days, I remember this clearly in seventh grade, I would go to the band hall, um, and I would find an empty practice room, and I would take my lunch in there, and I would uh, lock the band hall, the, the, the practice room, keep the lights off, and eat uh, in the dark by myself. I was just so afraid to talk to someone in the lunchroom. I was just so afraid to be noticed. Um, so spoiler alert, I stopped stuttering. Um, but it wasn't until much longer in life than I, I hoped. And even though this particular thorn was taken from me, um, I look back on how God was like showing me there's unique power in that. I know I wouldn't be who I am had I not had that thorn. I know that I, I would not have learned to listen. I'm not the best listener in the world, but I would not have learned how to listen had I not been afraid to talk. And I realized that uh, you don't actually have to talk to be a good friend. And I don't know if I would have learned that had I not had that thorn. And I just know that God was showing me in a very gracious way uh, that you can be strong here, Mark. I learned also through that time just to, just to have, live with more courage, live with more boldness. You know the scripture verse that we often hear quoted that God doesn't give you more than you can handle? You know that scripture verse? You want to know a little secret? It's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Oh, and by the way, it's not even true. God does allow you to have more than you can handle. Absolutely. We have been dealt hands that are beyond us. To have that notion of God is not helpful. It's not true. I think the more accurate to say, thing to say is, there's no, God doesn't give you more than he can handle, than you can handle together. And the reason why I believe this is that when I am weak, he gets to show off in how strong he is. He gets to show off in how God loves to give us grace, loves to give us mercy, loves to give us strength in our places of dependency, not in our places of, of, of independence. There's strength that happens over here in vulnerability that you will never experience when you have lived a life of independence. That's just just how it seems to work here. So Jesus not only calls us to go to this narrow path, this is the kindness of God. The kindness of God is that Jesus doesn't just call you to do it. He actually showed you the way. Jesus showed you the way of vulnerability. Jesus chose to be vulnerable. He left heaven's comforts to come to this world for you, for me, Jesus walked vulnerably into relationships where he could have been rejected, even by a man named Judas. Jesus took risks. Jesus, too, he also prayed about his thorn. He had a thorn that he prayed about. Father, if there's any way that you could take this cup from me, if there's any way you could take this cup from me, please do it. But did he stop there? No, but not my will, but yours be done. And what was that cup 
That cup was the cup of suffering. It was the cup of sorrow. It was the cup of vulnerability. And Jesus did not choose to pass that cup onto us without him also showing us that there's power in vulnerability because Jesus ultimately was woundable on the cross and he demonstrated the definition of transforming power through weakness because our wounded Savior comes to this world and invites us for healing, for wholeness, for restoration. There are power in thorns, in nails, in wounds. Because his wounds, we are now set free. And so I just want to end this time, I just want to give you some time to process and to pray as the band plays here. Before, I just, I know that how we are, we can hear messages, oh great, let's go to Luby's. Let's move on with our life. I don't want to end this without just an opportunity for you just to do some work with Jesus. Just to do some honest prayer and reflection. The first question I want you to just be thoughtful of right now is, can you identify what in your life is causing you to feel vulnerable? Maybe it's a thorn. Maybe it's a challenging relationship. Maybe it's a struggle. A financial situation that doesn't seem to be resolving fast. A dream that you've had that you've had buried for a while and it feels vulnerable to enact it. You know you need a change in your life. Oh, I just don't, I'd rather just protect. What in your life is causing you to feel vulnerable today? If you could turn on the lights, we're going to have some time of prayer here. So as you identify that, I just want you guys to take that to the Lord. Say, God, this is where I'm feeling vulnerable. I need you to teach me that there's power in, in my weakness right here. Give me your discernment whether or not I need to step in this vulnerability. Go to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, I want you guys to uh, throw up that slide with uh, the different ways we avoid our vulnerability. I want you just, in the, just to help identify what is, what is the primary way that you're avoiding this vulnerability in your life? Are you numbing yourself? Are you trying to seek control? Are you protecting everything so you're not feeling vulnerable? blaming other people in your life for your vulnerability. By the way, I don't mean an abusive relationship. Uh, if you're in one of those, you need, you need to get out. We'll help you in that. That's not what we're talking about here. But are you seeking blame? Are you, is your vulnerability turning into to, to anger? Or do you hide? Get out of the vulnerability. Are you hiding? Ask the Lord to give you strength and to not, to, to not avoid vulnerability through that anymore.
friends, wherever you are, wherever you're experiencing vulnerability, I just, I just want to let you know that God is, God's, God is with us wherever we are. But here's my strong conviction. God is uniquely present in vulnerability. God is uniquely present where we're feeling weak, where we're feeling we can't, we're exhausted, where we're feeling hopeless. God is uniquely present there. So maybe, maybe Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Maybe this week where he's inviting you to follow him, Jesus wants you to, Jesus is gonna lead you into your vulnerability so he can do some work there. Let's pray together. Wounded Savior, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your grace that you've lavished upon us. That in our, in our weaknesses, we get to experience strength. And God, we confess that we are fleeing from vulnerability in so many different ways. We know how to avoid it. So I pray, Jesus, you give us boldness and courage to walk into vulnerability more open-hearted. Give us courage to do so, Jesus. I'm tired of living my personal life on my own strength. Jesus, I need more of you. We're tired of living our own lives from our own points of strength. We need more of you. So Jesus, teach us to follow you this week, even in our weakness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.